If you have your Bible with you, open to 1 Samuel chapter 29. So have you guys enjoyed 1 Samuel? I have. Isn't it amazing how applicable it is to our life? You know, you think, ah, I don't like the Old Testament. It doesn't really mean anything. Man, it is so rich in application. We can look at what the nation of Israel and, and even specifically David, and, and I see a lot of things that we deal with just like David's going through. And, and I love the way the Bible portrays the good and the bad. You know, they does, it's not just all the one side. If I was to write a story about my life, it would be all the good stuff. I'd leave all the bad stuff out, and I'm sure you would do the same, and that's how most people do it. So when you read their autobiographies, you, typically what you're getting is all the good stuff. You've skipped over the mountaintops of their life, and they don't always share the bad stuff that's down in the valleys. But I want to just back up for a little, little bit because we're coming into, towards the end of 1 Samuel here. I just want to remind us, take a moment to remind us, uh, what, what exactly has taken place uh, in the life of David. Remember, David is, is, he's called a man after God's own heart, but he's being made into that. He didn't just, he wasn't born that way. He's going through a lot of circumstances, a lot of things that he's gone through. And as we pick up tonight in our scripture, he's probably, and I'm going to suspect, at the lowest place in his life. I mean, it doesn't really get much lower than where he is tonight. And you say, wait a minute, I know the whole Bathsheba thing and the murder thing. No, no, I think tonight he's at the bottom. I think he's at rock bottom. But I want to just back up and tell you for a moment how he got there. Remember, he was, the, he, was the, he was a son. He was the son of Jesse. Anybody know what number son he was? He was number eight. He was the eighth son. Do you know what that means in that biblical day? He had no hope of obtaining anything. The firstborn was held in high regard and would take over the family, the estate, and all that kind of stuff. The eighth son, he was probably doomed to be a shepherd for the rest of his life. But he did that. He was a shepherd, and he went out, and we read that, you know, the lion attacked and the bear attacked, and he was able to protect the sheep uh, from, from the things. And he, we also look back at his life, and we see that his time in the, in the field was a time that he grew close to God. And he, God began to develop and began to work in his life at a very young age. And he began to grow close to God and learn things. And then we see some amazing things happen. Samuel comes over. The kingdom is torn away from King Saul. Saul's still on the throne, but the kingdom is being pulled out of his hands because he's failing to listen to God. He's failing to obey the command of God. He didn't, he didn't utterly destroy the Amalekites, remember? So Samuel, God tells Samuel to go anoint uh, a new king. And he comes over to Jesse's house and he looks and, and Jesse brings the son that he thinks is the most worthy to be king, the, the tallest, the best looking, the one that would fits the mold of king. And, and, and Samuel says, that's not him. And he brings the next one and then he brings the next one. And after he'd gone through seven sons, Jesse says, well, I, I, I don't really have any more. Wait, wait, wait. I got one more out in the, in the field with the sheep. And Samuel says, well, go get him. And Samuel anoints him as the next king over Israel. That's a high point in his life. I'm going to be the next king over Israel. He doesn't know how it's going to happen, doesn't know when it's going to happen, doesn't know what are the circumstances that have to unfold for it to happen. Oh, if he only knew, right? But at this point in his life, he's celebrating. I'm going to be the next king of Israel. He's excited about it. Well, what happens next? He goes back to the fields he goes to visit his brothers, Goliath. The whole story of David and Goliath is happening. He goes up, picks up the stone, kills Goliath, cuts off his head. Incredible war. It's like, who is this kid? He was a teenager at that point, could barely wear Saul's armor. And, he gets, and he's, he's having victory over the Philistines. So all of a sudden he becomes known. His reputation is going good. He's popular. They wrote a song about him. They said Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his tens of thousands. He moves in with the palace. He starts playing the harp for Saul. The Holy Spirit's running around here tonight in the wind. Trying to get in. No, he's trying to get out maybe. 
So David moves in with Saul, and uh, he's playing the harp. Uh, all, of, all of things are looking really, really good in his life. He's like, wow, I'm blessed by God. I'm going to be king. I'm having victory over the Philistines. I'm going to marry the king's daughter. He gets married to his, the king's daughter. Well, then all of a sudden, things take a turn, right? Saul gets a little jealous of David. He doesn't like the fact that David is having so, so much success over the Philistines, over his enemies. And he doesn't like the fact that people are recognizing David more than they're recognizing Saul. So what happens? He tries to kill David. He throws a spear at him. Well, the Lord saves David, and David is able to dodge the spear. Happens a couple of times. So David eventually finds himself on the run, has to say goodbye to his friend Jonathan, who was Saul's son, and he finds himself on the run. And he starts scratching his head at this point. And this is, this is some speculation, but he's thinking, how am I ever going to be king of Israel? What's going to take place? David finds himself waiting. Waiting. I'm going to be king of Israel. God's promised me something, but now I'm waiting. Oh, we don't like to wait at all, do we? I don't like to wait, and I'm sure you don't like to wait. I don't like to wait. So you can imagine as David's on the run, Saul's still trying to kill him, hunting him down now with the armies of Israel. Saul's, David's got to be crying out, what's going on? I don't even see this possible. David has an opportunity to kill Saul twice, and he doesn't do it. But yet he still finds himself on the run. How long? Well, we know he was on the run for a total of about 14 years. So think of it about the 12-year point. How long are you waiting? How long are you willing to wait? You go, well, I can wait about two hours. That's it. Maybe if I'm really, really long-suffering for me, it's two days. Two years. Ten years. Twenty years. David's at about the 12-year mark in his life. At about the 12-year mark, he goes to confront Saul, remember? And he goes into the camp, all the soldiers are sleeping, Saul's sword is stuck by his head, he has a chance to kill him, he doesn't do it, and he walks away. And he walks away defeated because he won't kill Saul, and Saul turns back and says, I'm going to leave David alone, and then David hits close, not there yet, he starts to get close to rock bottom in his life. It's been 12 years, God told me I'd be king. What do you think that promise is doing in his mind after 12 years? You think it's rattling around in empty land? You think he's figuring this isn't going to happen? How could this possibly happen? Every time I go near Israel, the king tries to kill me. That's exactly what takes place. And David comes to a place where he says, you know what? I look out over the enemy. I see the Philistines over there. Over here in the people of God, I'm on the run. I'm being chased. I think it would be more comfortable for me if I went and joined up with the people of the enemy of God. I think I'm going to move. And he does. He packs up his bags. He packs up his family. He packs up his 600 men. And he moves over to the land of the Philistines. And he heads over to the Philistines, leaving the people of God, leaving the fellowship of the people of God, and he moves down into enemy territory. Now, the reason I say this is a low point is because he has literally given up. He's given up. God's promise means nothing to him anymore. It means nothing. Doesn't even believe it can happen. Well, how can you say that, Rob? He's joined the enemy. He's joined the enemy. Let's pick it up here in chapter 29, verse 1. Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek, and the Israelites encamped by a fountain which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands, but David and his men passed in review at the rear with the Kish. Then the princes of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, Is this not David, 
the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days or these years? And to this day I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. So let me just remind you what's taking place geographically. The Philistines have moved into Israelite territory. They're preparing to do battle with the Israelites. Saul was scared. We saw last week that he did what? He went to see the fortune teller, right? He called Samuel back from the dead. Samuel said, your number's up, Saul. The kingdom's being torn from your hand tomorrow. You and your son will be with me. That's it. This is your last day. While this is happening, the Philistines are preparing to do battle. And what's taking place is they're marching their men by. There was five kings of the Philistines or five lords of the Philistines. They're marching their men by. And think of them as, they're like assessing their troops. Hmm, Good guys there. They look looking at their faces, see if they're ready. Maybe give them a little pep talk. They're walking by. And all of a sudden, here comes Akish and here comes David with his 600 men. And they look at him and they think, What are these Hebrews doing here? That's a good question, isn't it? What are these Hebrews doing here? The enemy is saying, you don't belong here. But that's the question David should be saying to himself. What am I doing here? I'm getting ready to do battle against my own people. I'm getting ready to do battle against my own people. Now listen, David finds himself here at this very moment in a place that he never would have expected to be. If you had gone to David after he killed Goliath and said, hey, Dave, I bet someday you're going to leave the Israelites and you're going to join forces with the Philistines. What do you think he would have said? You're crazy. You're Philistines. I'm not going over there. He finds himself someplace that he never would have expected to be. Wow. Think about that. He's left the people of God He's left the promises of God. He's abandoned the things of God. He's joined forces with the enemy. And now he finds himself where he never would have expected to be. Ever happened to you? You ever find yourself in a place you never expected to be? Maybe you got there because it was somebody else's fault. Maybe you got there like David. You made some bad choices. Maybe you find, maybe whatever the reason is, however you got there, regardless, at times in our life, we will find ourselves in places that we never, never really expect to be. Never. Well, how'd he get there? How did he really get there? Well, I'm going to suggest to you a couple of reasons how he got to this location. And this is a low point for him. Number one, he got tired of waiting. He got tired of waiting. 12 years is enough, wouldn't you agree? If God didn't do it in 12 years, I think I should just move on. 13 years, 14 years, by now we're close to the 14-year mark. Obviously, God's not doing what he said he was going to do. So he's, let's, let's just move on. Number two, he kind of figured in his own mind that what God said he would do is impossible. He misunderstood the power of God. Because he looked at the circumstances and as he knows, holds on to this promise that someday he'll be king... He says, well, God can't do that. It's impossible now. If it hasn't happened in 12 years or 14 years, eh, just write that off. Why, why should I waste any more time doing that? I'm tired of running from Saul. I'm tired of living in caves. Let's just go on over to the enemy's side and, uh, and we can settle down. Build a house, you know, have a family, bring both my wives with me. I'm sure that went real well for him. Number three, he forgot what God had already done in his life. He got so focused on the circumstance at hand that seemed impossible because of the circumstances. He forgot all that God had already done. He forgot that he had killed Goliath. 
He forgot that the eighth born son of a, of, of a nobody named Jesse is now going to be the king of Israel. He forgot about his victory over the Philistines. He forgot about God's protection from the number, from the numerous death attempts that Saul tried to take his life. He forgot all that. He forgot God's provision for food in the temple. He forgot all of God's provision. He forgot everything God had done except for this one moment in his life. And it causes him to abandon the promise of God and head over to enemy territory and get over to what the enemy is doing because it looked better over there. It looked better on that side. So because the situation was tiring, because it was seemingly impossible, David left the people of God and he went into enemy territory. Listen, maybe you're on your way to a place you never thought you'd be or maybe you're sitting there tonight. Maybe you're sitting there going, you know what? He says, I I never thought I'd be in this place. If you'd asked me 10 years ago, five years ago, two years ago, I never thought I'd be right here. Maybe it's all alone. Perhaps it's fighting an addiction. Maybe you're thinking, maybe you've done it. Maybe you've crossed over to the enemy side. You go, I can relate to David. I've been there. Can I tell you there's good news in this? Because from the bottom, the only place to go is up. And God's not going to forsake his promise. Not to David and not to you. Not to any of us. You can trust God's promises. You can trust it. Maybe financially you're in a place you never thought you'd be, good or bad. Listen, I think we've all been there or we all have the propensity to be there. I think we need to be careful when we look at something and say, hey, I'll never do that. I'll never go there. That will never happen to me. I'll never fall for that because David would have said the exact same thing. And now he finds himself literally at his lowest point ever. The, the, uh, the Philistine, they look and they say, what are the Hebrews doing here? And that's a mighty good question. But look at verse four. But the princes of the Philistines, they're angry with him. So the princes of the Philistines said to him, make this fellow return that he may go back to the place which you have appointed for him. And do not let him go down with us to battle lest in the battle he become our adversary. For with what could he reconcile himself to his master, if not with the heads of these men? Is this not David of whom they sang to one another in dances, saying, and Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands? Do you see what's happening? The people that he thought where he'd find comfort, David is in line to do battle. He's ready to go fight. He's ready to just give up on everything. Not only am I going to to abandon God, I'm going to now go fight against God. I'm going to do battle against God. Listen, when you move outside of God's will, you're not going to fit in. When you're a Christian and you move outside of God's will, you're not gonna fit in when the enemy's camp. They're not gonna really want you there. There might be somebody accepting you that's trying to bring you along like a kish. Oh, no, no, bring him along with me. he's, He's okay, he's been with me for years now. 16 months exactly, but he exaggerates. He's been with me for years He'll, he'll stick up for you, but the truth is the enemy doesn't really want you there because they know you don't belong there. David doesn't fit in with the enemy. He's perhaps the greatest warrior. He's the one that killed their greatest warrior. And they say, we don't trust you. We don't trust you. You're a Christian. You're a Hebrew. Not a Christian. You're a Hebrew. We don't trust you. We don't want you here. You heard that song? Saul's killed his thousands, David's killed his tens. No, the, the way he, he could use this whole situation to turn on us in the middle of battle and we'd, we'd be in a mess. Send him home. Send him back to where you are. Look at verse six. Akish called to David and he said to him, surely as the Lord lives, 
You have been upright. I love how they use the Lord's. Surely as the Lord lives, you have been upright. And with me in the army is good in my sight. For, this, for, for to this day I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the Lord's do not favor you. Therefore return now and go in peace that you may not displease the Lord's of the Philistines. How much lower? David is worried about displeasing the lords of the Philistines. We don't want to displease them. How much lower could you possibly get? He would be glad to displease the lords of the Philistines from the other side, from the side of Israel. He's concerned about displeasing him. Wow. So verse 8, so David said to Akish, but what have I done? And to this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the king. Do you see, David's asking to fight. Can you reconsider? What have I done wrong? I haven't done anything wrong. Let me go fight against Israel. Let me go fight against Israel. Notice who he, ally, uh, notice he, who he allies himself there with. That I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the king. What have I done that I'm not allowed to go fight against Israel? What he's done is God's promise is still reigning true. God's not going to let him fight against the nation of Israel. God's not going to let that happen. God's not, not going to let that take place. Akish answered and said to David, I know you are as good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to battle. He shall go, don't go up. You're not coming up, David. Therefore, rise early in the morning with your master's servants who have come with you. As soon as you're up early in the morning and have light, depart. So David and his men rose early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. David fled the people of God only to be rejected by the people who are representing the world. He fled the people of God only to be rejected by the world. How do you think he felt? Israel doesn't want me. The Philistines don't want me. I've got nobody. I've got nothing. It was a 75-mile walk for him and his 600 men to get back home. They took it in three days. They took it about three days. We'll find that out in a minute. So for the next three days, 25 miles a day, they're going to kind of walk home. Sort of, nobody wants us. We're just going to go down and back to our little city and back to our houses, and we're just going to continue on with life and you know, we don't fit in in the Philistines. We don't fit in the nation Israel. I'm sure there was a part of him that was mad. I'm sure that he was kind of angry. Not much he could do about it with only 600 men. So he heads back. Look at chapter 30. We're going to look at the first few verses here. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag, that's the city he'd been given, on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south of Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great, they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. So here's this group of 600 men. They're on the road back to Ziglag. They get a little bit closer. They're wondering where the people are. The family should see the soldiers coming and run. Sense of the kids should start to come running out. What's coming on? What's going on? What's taking place? They, they want to know who's alive, who passed away. They, they want all the information. What was the battle like? But instead, as David and his men get close, what they see is a smoldering city. There's no people there. They're all gone. 
All of our families are gone. All of our, everything we left behind, all of our stuff, our animals, our, our cattle, it's all gone. There's nothing there but smoke rising up off the ash heap. And then in verse four, then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and they wept until they had no more power to weep. Just when you think it couldn't get any lower for David, it gets worse. You see, David now, not wanted by the Philistines, he's in enemy territory, he should be uncomfortable there, right? He's not wanted by the, by the Philistines, and now he comes home, and not only his family's gone, all the other men's families are gone. Men of war, it describes them as weeping until they had no more power to weep. They cried until there was no more left to cry. They came to the point where there was nothing left. The the mourning was so great. Everything was gone. Everything was was disastrous. It It was missing. It was gone. It's all right, David. At least you have your 600 men with you, right? At least they're with you. Verse five, David's two sons and Hinnom and the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the widow of Nabal and the Carmelite, they had been taken captive. Now great, now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. The people, which people were that? That's the 600 men that were with him. Wow, David, even your 600 men that were supposed to be valiant men, they're there with you. They want to stone you now. Does it get any worse for him? I mean, Listen, everything David has has been stripped away from him. Everything. Everything he has is gone. There's nothing left. Even the followers he had, he's by himself at this moment. It doesn't get any worse for him. He's at the bottom. It says he was greatly distressed. The word is cramping. It means, it means balled up, couldn't even move. It was, he, was, he was literally just tight. It was, I mean, it's a word used to mean cramping. He was, just, he was so distressed he couldn't even move. Everything had been stripped away from him. Everything. The people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. Wow. Everything that David thought that he was gaining by going into enemy territory has now been taken away, including the things that he brought with him. And now the men that were with him are being removed. Listen, if you head over to enemy territory, you better believe it's going to cost you something. You better believe that if you're going to go spend some time with the enemy and camp out with the enemy and and do some things that are contrary to God's will in your life, you better believe there's going to be a consequence to that. Why is this happening to him? Because God wants to get his attention. God wants to tell, God's not done with David. That's the beautiful part of this story. Maybe you've been right where David has, where you were at the bottom, everything stripped away, there is nothing left, you just feel like I am just there. God's got your attention, good, good, that's, that's good, he's got your attention. David, this doesn't end David's life. He's not done. He's still a man after God's own heart. The last line in verse six there, read it with me if you will, but, which means in light of all of this, but, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He strengthened himself. David strengthened himself. Sometimes the Lord will strengthen you. Sometimes the Lord will send people to help strengthen you. And sometimes you have to go strengthen yourself in the Lord God. Notice what it says there. David strengthened himself. It doesn't say the Lord strengthened him. David strengthened himself. 
David realized where he was and he needed to go strengthen himself in the Lord. This is very, very important. How did he do that? What did he do? How do we do that? What if I'm there? How do I strengthen myself in the Lord? Well, it doesn't tell us right there exactly what he did, but I think the principles throughout scripture are the same. Do you know how to strengthen yourself in the Lord? Do you know if you were at a point where David is, where you were just at rock bottom and maybe you're considering going to the enemy's camp, maybe you're in the enemy's camp, maybe you've stepped out of the will of God, maybe you've let go of the promise that God's given you, maybe you're just going, I don't know what to do. Can I tell you, strengthen yourself in the Lord? You say, well, how do I do that? I'm glad you asked. Number one, repent. Repent. Repent to who? Repent to the Lord. Repent. To your, admit to yourself where you are and how you got there. Repent. Go to the Lord. Turn, the word repent means to turn away from it. Admit to the Lord and to yourself what you've done. You see, if I cross over to the enemy camp and I stand prideful and say, well, no, no, I'm not, this, this is, I'm not, I'm not about to turn. I'm going to make this work. I'm going to keep pressing forward. I'm going to do this. this is, I'm entitled to this. I, I should have been on the throne of Israel years ago, but I'm going to keep pushing forward. and We're just going to rebuild Ziglag. We're going we're to make this work, men. It's not what David does. He strengthens himself in the Lord. He repents. Number two, he's going to, I believe, and this is my opinion. It doesn't say this here. It's my opinion. I think he began to remember. I think he began to remember. I think that if we want to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, we need to go back and remember what God's done in our life, starting with salvation, starting about how he pursued you before salvation. Remember and reclaim those promises of God because just because you ignored it doesn't mean it's not still true. Just because you put it aside because you couldn't see it happening doesn't mean that, it won't, that, God's, that God's neglecting the promise. David will still be king of Israel in spite of all this. Go back, remember, and reclaim the promises of God. Remember God's past deliverances in your life. Remember God's love for you. Remember the things God's done in your life. Remember That's why it's so important to write them down. When you come across a milestone, when you come across where God did something great, write it down. Because you're going to need to go back and remember when you're thinking about or finding yourself in the enemy territory, in the enemy camp. You need to go back and remember what God has done in the past. Number three, reestablish yourself in the word of God and reestablish yourself with the people of God. If you've fallen into enemy territory, if you've fallen back, if you've given up on the promises of God, reestablish yourself in the word of God. Make sure you're back in church around the people of God. It's in fellowship around the people of God is important. Reestablish yourself. Reestablish yourself in prayer. Those are the things that usually we stop doing when we start, when we join the enemy. We're not going to be studying the Bible in the enemy's camp. We're not going to be praying in the enemy's camp. What was David doing in the enemy's camp? Remember? Robbing, stealing, and murdering. That's what he was doing in the enemy's camp. I'm getting all I can get. And all of his stuff got taken away. All of it. Remember he, remember he went into Ziglag and he started attacking all the little nations around him and he killed everybody in him. Well, guess what, David? All the stuff you took just got taken from you. You were living a life of sin. You weren't living a life of holiness. You weren't seeking the will of God. You were stealing from people. You were taking things that didn't belong to you. He I believe he reestablished himself back in the word of God. I believe he reestablished himself with prayer. And I believe also... For us, we need to reestablish ourselves in fellowship with the people of God, with the people of God. That's the third thing. The fourth thing, how do I strengthen myself in the Lord if I find myself, if I found myself in a place that I never expected to be, how do I strengthen myself there? Listen, remain right where you're at for the moment. Remain. It's 
Repent, remember, reestablish, and remain. What do you mean, Rob? Remain. Listen, if you found yourself in a place today, tonight, right, that you never expected to be, don't go change everything. Don't quit your job. Don't move to a new house. Don't, you know, break up in a relationship. Just remain because David is going to do something incredible here. In the next few verses, I want to just read them to you real quick. Then David said to Abathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord saying, Shall I pursue the troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him. So David remained. He didn't just say, all right, guys, let's move back to Israel. He said, let's ask the Lord what to do. Let's ask God what to do. What wisdom in that? If you find yourself in the camp of the enemy or someplace that you never expected to be, remain there momentarily, just briefly, because God has a plan to get you out of there. Okay, God doesn't want you to remain there, but you don't want to just go follow your own plan. You want to follow what God's plan is. So you have to remain where you are briefly, momentarily, and seek the Lord. As you begin to, as you repent, as you remember the promises of God, as you remember God's love for you, as you remember the past deliverances in your life, as you reestablish yourself in the word of God, as you reestablish yourself in prayer with God, as you reestablish yourself with the people of God, and you remain where you're at, You're just waiting for God to tell you what to do next. That's it. What do I do next? I can't answer that one. We're gonna find out what David does next, next week. But what do we do next in our own life when we find us there? We remain, we stay right where we're at and we ask the Lord, Lord, what do I do next? Now that doesn't mean if it's a sinful thing that you continue doing it. Let me make that clear. That doesn't mean that if, well, I'm living in sin so I'm just gonna continue doing it until the Lord tells me what to do next. No, the Lord told you to stop. Okay, I, that's straight from me and straight from the word of God. Stop. And then go seek him with all of those other things I just gave you. And remember these two things. Number one, God will always be faithful to his promises, both in his word and the things that he puts on our hearts, the things that he gives you. His promises in his word will come true. God is faithful. If it is truly from God, it will come true. It has to come true. Number two, If you leave the plan of God, things are going to get really tough. They're going to get really tough for you. But it's not an effort to hurt you. It's an effort to bring you back. You see, David is at the lowest point in his life, and it's not because God wants to be mean to him. God says, David, I've got work for you to do. All this stuff, you've already written some of the Psalms when you were in En Gedi. You already written some of the, there's so much you've done. I've got more work for you to do. So this this little 16-month hiatus you've been on, it's about to come to an end. I've got work for you to do. Listen, it's always much better to strengthen yourself in the Lord before you end up in enemy territory than once you do. You see, David, after he left Saul that last time, if he would have strengthened himself in the Lord then, he would have never went to the Philistines. And he wouldn't have spent those 16 months doing the things that he was doing. And he wouldn't have lost his family and his city wouldn't have been burned. He wouldn't have been rejected by the Philistines. None of that stuff would have happened. I don't believe he would have had to go over there, but he, he didn't. He didn't strengthen himself in the Lord. It's much better for us to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, to repent, to remember, to reestablish, and to remain right where we're at until the Lord directs us otherwise. Before we come to the point that David came to and we say, you know what, I'm just going to go join the enemy. I'm just, I just can't take it anymore. I've just had enough. I just, I just can't do it. You're right, you can't. That's why we need the strength of the Lord. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. It doesn't say be strong in your own strength. Strengthen your mind. It doesn't say strengthen your body. It says strengthen yourself in the Lord. Strengthen my spirit in the Lord. If you don't do that as a Christian on a regular basis, you will end up with the enemy. 
I promise, it happens. It happens. If I get out of the word of God, if I get out of prayer, ask my wife. She'll nicely say, I think you need to spend some time with the Lord. She will. Sometimes she'll say to me, you know, I, 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 why don't you spend a little time with the Lord? That's, me, that's her saying to me, you need to go strengthen yourself with the Lord. You need to go spend some time with God. And I, I've learned to heed that warning. You know, so we need to make sure, if at all possible, that we continually strengthen ourselves in the Lord before we end up where David ended up. And the beautiful thing is God's promise is still true. And God's not done with him. God's not done. He will be the next king of Israel. But at this particular moment, his whole world has fallen apart. He's lost everything. Even his 600 men want to stone him. Everything. And it says he strengthens himself in the Lord, and then he goes to the priest, bring me the ephod, probably looking for the Irma and the Thuma, and he says, I want to know, God, what do I do next? That is a great question to ask God in your life. What do you want me to do next, God? What if he doesn't answer me? Then you wait until he does answer you. And you stand strong. You continually strengthen yourself in the Lord until he answers you. Because if you go to enemy territory, things can get really tough over there. When you leave the plan of God and the people of God to go join the enemy of God, you're not going to fit in anyways. They don't want you there. They don't really want you. They're just going to use you. And then they're just going to tell you you're not really part of them anyways. You don't belong. So I think strengthening ourselves in the Lord is the the message that we need to remember tonight. 